This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by the following public service announcement. We will spoil important revelations in Park Chan-wook's old boy from 2003 in this episode. Like seriously, we'll spoil it bad. So go ahead and watch it now if you haven't already. Not the Spike Lee version, you can handle some subtitles. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And it is the last episode of the year. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year's. We are going to be recording this last episode of the year, and then the next two weeks in the new year are going to be all about the year in review. So our next brand new episode after this one will be halfway through January, when you will see us again talking about brand new movies. This week, though, is all about New Year's with 1987's Angel Heart and 2019's Midnight Kiss. It's also a very sexy week. (laughs) There's a lot of sex going on in both of these movies. (laughs) Let's get right into it with our first movie, 1987's Angel Heart. Written and directed by Alan Parker, based on the novel Falling Angel by William Hjortzberg, starring Mickey Rourke, Robert De Niro, and Lisa Bonet. Uh, the music is also composed by Trevor Jones, whose name I couldn't get out of my head for some reason, so I had to look him up. Uh, he also did the music for Last of the Mohicans, uh, Dark City, Dark Crystal, and The Labyrinth. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so that's why I know his name. Okay. <laughs> and William Hortzberg, who did Falling Angel, the novel that this movie is based on, wrote Legend. Really? Yes. How funny. I thought it's really interesting. It's very interesting. <laughs> Can you tell us, Kelsey, what Angel Heart is about? A private detective is told to look into the death of a guy who owes a debt to this other guy and... Suddenly all these people are being murdered. (laughs) You can watch the movie for free or with ads on Canopy and Pluto TV. Or if you have a subscription to Prime, Paramount Plus, or Hoopla, you can rent it for $3 on most major services and buy it for only 6 Should people watch Angel Heart? I get why people like this movie. I really, really do. Uh, I think the acting is excellent. I think it's a well-made movie. But I think it's weird, and I think it's boring as hell. Okay. So I would say no, (laughs) but I get why people like it. I am one of those people. I also get why you don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) I totally understand. I think this is a fantastic premise that is made well. It just doesn't really stick the landing. The ending of this movie is not the best, and it's kind of a big letdown from what I really like about the rest of the movie. <laughs> it, it's, it takes place in 1955, so we got this sort of noir aesthetic, but not like 
black and white sort of detective noir, like a grungier 50s detective noir, which I really, really like. I think Mickey Rourke does an incredible job in this movie. Doing his best Bruce Willis impression. Sure, absolutely. Yes. There are times when you're like, that might as well be Bruce Willis. (laughs) The end of the movie is a little bit, his acting gets a little bit out there. It's a. It has weird elements. Yes, right? I don't understand why does. it's in there. I don't think a lot is being asked of Robert De Niro in this, but it is one of his most unique roles. Yeah, I think he does a really good job. I just, it's funny because the thing that I think that is weirdest about it, I feel like a lot of people will be like, "Well, that's an old boy, and you love old boy," and I'm like, "Yeah, no, I get that. I love old boy." difference is... And it's not as drastic in this movie either. Right. The difference is that's a revenge story? And this is just... He's not really getting revenge on the person he wants to get revenge on. He's getting on revenge on all these other well, it's people... A, it's a tragedy. ...that were, that were it, bystanders. It, it's, it's a tragedy, as is old boy. But anyway, we're giving away a whole hell of a lot right now. We can get into the details of the plot when we actually talk about the movie. But I think if the way I described it sounds appealing to you, you will probably like it if you have the flexibility to understand that the ending isn't the best and you're still able to like a movie in spite of that. If none of that made you think, oh, this is interesting, that's the type of movie I want to see, probably avoid it because I think Kelsey's right. You'll probably think this is boring as fuck, (laughs) probably think it's really weird and unsatisfying. And I totally, totally get that. So you need to know you and which of those two things sounds more like you, I think. Also, I don't know, like, how racist this movie is. <laughs> I, I, don't, I would understand if people felt it was insensitive or created negative stereotypes or reinforced negative stereotypes. I would understand that. I'm not as keyed in on that, so I'm not going to say it's not. But I could un- I could imagine people saying that it is that way. So also consider that element as well. Yeah. Hopefully that helped you decide if you wanted to watch this movie or not. You can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 1987's Angel Heart. The Exorcist. The possession of the human soul. Chinatown. The mystery of the human mind. Now. My interest in Johnny is only in finding out if he's alive or if he's dead. You want me to check it out? Check it out. Where are you? I'm just the guy who was paid to snoop around. I'm going to ask you again. Where is he? I don't know. Harry Angel has been hired to solve more than a mystery. He's dead, Mr. Angel. And if he isn't, he is to me. Are you afraid? Yeah, I'm afraid. To find more than a killer. We don't go around murdering people, all right, Mr. Angel? The Prince of Darkness protects the powerful. And it may cost him more than his life. Some religions think that the egg is the symbol of the soul. Did you know that? 
all I know is Johnny's running around bumping off everyone he used to know. And more and more, it's me who's on the line for it. Johnny's favorite was as close to true evil as she ever wanted to come. There's death everywhere these days. You killed them. And you're trying to pin it on me. The flesh is weak. Only the soul is immortal. Alright, Kelsey, get us started. How does Angel Heart begin? We hear the name Johnny being whispered, and we see that someone is dead. This movie isn't really interested in explaining itself to you. Like, either you understand it or you don't, and it doesn't, it's not going to do much in the way of exposition. Well, I, I, uh, it's a mystery, and I think that's key. There are going to be things but that you're going by the to end, see at the beginning that, oh, it's a you, very confusing solution to the mystery. That's what I'm saying. Yes, by the end, those things don't still don't make sense. I think you are right. And we'll find out exactly who Johnny is and all of that later. So it's New York, 1955, as Chris said. We meet Harold Angel, played by Mickey Rourke. Like again, this, again, looks just like Bruce Willis in this movie. And he gets a phone call about a Mr. Cipher in Harlem. From the law firm of Winesap and Macintosh which are two different types of apples, if it wasn't incredibly obvious from the very beginning exactly who Robert De Niro is. <laughs> the name of the character is Louis Cipher. I'm going to say that again. He is Louis Cipher. <laughs> okay? He is represented by lawyers named after apples. Okay? He has made an arrangement with a man... In exchange for which, he will receive something upon that man's death. Okay? So, it's not exactly the most subtle thing in the world. Yeah, it's obvious that he is supposed to be the devil. And it's obvious that the devil is mad because he has obviously been cheated out of his soul. Uh-huh. The confusing part is the explanation. Yeah, so... What we hear from both of them, Winesap, one of the lawyers, and Cypher, who Harry insists on calling Cypheri. Well, I'll tell you, uh, Mr. Cypher, you know, I... Mr. Cypher. I'm sorry, baby. I'm sorry, <laughs> Mr. Cypher. Is that he made an arrangement where he did something special for this man named Johnny Favorite, actually named Jonathan Liebling, which means like my darling, my favorite anyway. So it's just like a translation, right? So basically he made Johnny Favorite a famous crooner for a while, right? On the contingency that when he died, the devil got his soul. Now, Johnny Favorite ended up getting drafted into the war, going to war, getting injured. His face got completely fucked up and he was basically a vegetable. He was sent to a hospital 
where he was taken care of, but nobody saw what he looked like because he had extensive facial reconstructive surgery and he was always wearing bandages. The law firm that is representing Satan, you know, the devil's advocates, they would continue to check in on the hospital to see if he was still there and still alive. And they would repeatedly say yes, until one day... Robert De Niro and his lawyer just happened to be in the area. They stop by the hospital, and he's not there. And they don't know why. They don't know what happened. And so they're hiring Harry to look into it. Where is this man? He ran away with my soul. I don't know if he's alive or dead. You need to figure that out for me. Mm-hmm. At the end of their conversation, De Niro will say, I feel like I've met you before. Harry's like, I don't know what you're talking about, man. It's funny, I have a feeling I've met you before. I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> he really doesn't, I think is important to note. He doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> so he immediately starts looking into it. He goes to the hospital and finds that there was a transfer, supposedly in 1943. But as Harry so aptly notices uh well ballpoints didn't exist in 1943 i love that he just knows by looking at the pen oh you can tell okay yeah you can absolutely tell when something's written with a ballpoint versus when it's written with a fountain pen okay but so he goes to investigate the doctor who wrote that the guy got a transfer and he finds that this doctor is a i don't know heroin junkie he's a morphine addict so he's a morphine addict. I don't know why that's... I guess it's his only way of making sure that the guy doesn't, like, call the cops on him for yes. coming into his house. Uh, but he ends up getting him to tell him that he was taken away by a man named Edward Kelly and a woman. And he says he took him down south to his home. And down south means New Orleans. New Orleans. Yes. Nolans, baby. Authentic Nolans magic, baby. <laughs> Harry locks him up in his room. He basically wants more information. He's like, oh, maybe if you're jonesing a little bit more, you need to sober up a little bit. You'll be more willing to tell. So he locks him in his room away from his morphine and says, I got to go make a phone call or something like that or follow a lead or something. When I come back, maybe you'll be more cooperative. And what you guys are going to slowly pick up on as a pattern is... Every time he starts to have a weird hallucination slash dream, somebody dies. Yes. And it's always somebody that he spoke to. Yes. Like right after he talks to somebody, he's going to have some sort of dream sequence. And then that person's going to wind up dead. Uh -huh. And what they're trying to communicate to you is that he is killing these people without realizing it. Yes. And all of his... Dreams are pretty cool. I thought they were pretty surreal and weird, and I, I appreciated that. He's constantly riding an elevator downwards. Oh, is he? As like a metaphor as, of his soul descending into hell. I did not notice that he was in an elevator. Yeah. I noticed that there were a lot of smiling nuns in his dreams. Yeah. I guess the religious imagery. Anyway, so because of that, he immediately goes back to De Niro and he's like, uh, I have to quit because now it looks like I killed somebody. <laughs> right. And De Niro's like, I'll give you lots and lots of money. And he's like, okay. He, he promises him $5,000, which, I mean, multiply it by 10, I think, is what inflation from that time it would be. I never figured out what the thing about chickens was. He has a thing about chickens. 
He'll say that several times because chickens will be brought up several times. They will. Would you like an egg? No, thank you. I got a thing about chickens. Oh, shit, man. I got a thing about chickens. <laughs> Please, I got a thing about chickens. I'll tell you, as far as I'm concerned, any dead chicken is good chicken to me. Yeah, so what's your problem? It's a free country. <laughs> Not for chickens, you know. Oh, yeah, I got to think about chickens, I remember. Well, I'll dance with you. Yeah. Yeah, but you got a promise. What's that? No chickens. But it never goes anywhere. I think it just has to tie back into voodoo and okay. including chickens in all of these rituals. Because he is heavily involved in voodoo, we'll find out. There's a moment coming up where he walks into a church. It's unclear exactly where the break between reality and his hallucinations are. His dreams, I think, is probably more accurate. Uh, he approaches a woman in a black veil who we never see from the front until the end of the movie. And we will find out is, in fact, Robert De Niro. You might be wondering why. Dress. Why would he do that? And you'd be right to question that because the movie isn't going to fucking tell you. It's something that's just creepy, I think, is what they're going for. Uh, it's not the part of the movie that I like. <laughs> uh, while he's there and he's about to reach out his hand because something is compelling him to this quote unquote woman. And he ends up getting tackled and attacked by these two men who are upset that he's looking into what happened to Johnny Favorite. We don't learn a lot about these men who hired them, where they came from. In the moment, we're just supposed to think that, oh, he's he's getting too close. getting too close or whatever. The people who killed the doctor are now after him. But we know that he killed the doctor by the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. So who are these men and who do they work for? Mm -hmm. We do not know. Mm -hmm. At least I'd probably have to watch it again. The last time I watched this movie was uh, late in high school or early in college and – one of the things that really bothered me is it kind of took a premise that I was like, you know, if I was to write a story, I'd probably write this story. And then they did it before me, but different. And, you know, I'm never going to make a movie like this. So I was a little bit bummed. I'll tell you what that story was at the end. Okay. He goes to Coney Island to meet with a woman uh, who knew Johnny Favorite. It's a weird, bizarre scene, just for the sake of being bizarre. Uh, her husband is a carny, I guess. He's sitting there. He's talking to him. There's a great line. Listen, what do you do around here in the summertime? I bite the heads off of rats. What are you doing in winter? Same. <laughs> but he talks to this man's wife, who knew Johnny Favorite, and she goes on about, yeah, I knew him. He was in love with this woman. It's confusing. He has a couple of different girlfriends, and it's confusing who is who for me. Sure. Because they're both magical. What he finds out is that Favorite was engaged to a white woman who was also into the occult. This is Margaret Cruzmark. We're going to find out later that she and her father, under a different name are the ones who picked up Favorite out of the hospital and paid the doctor to pretend that he was still there. In addition to that, Margaret Cruzmark. He was in love with a voodoo priestess called Evangeline Proudfoot. She is the one that we will never meet in this movie because she is already dead. So he decides to go to New Orleans to investigate further. 
And that's where he meets this woman. I thought she looked just like the lady from Hellraiser, but apparently not. Margaret Cruzmark. This is played by Charlotte Rampling. And she is going to tell him his future. And what we find out is that she's like a rich heiress. Like these people, like her and her father are super, super rich. Yes. And they are apparently also devil worshippers, occultists. Uh Uh-huh. But so she's going to read him his chart, his sign Mm -hmm. chart. And he tells her that he had the same birthday as Johnny Favorite. And she's like... I knew somebody with that same birthday, and he's like, yeah, and he must have been really stupid if he left you, because he thinks that she's really pretty, which, Mm -hmm. again, like, all these things should be pointing you in the direction Yeah, uh uh-huh. that he is, in fact, Johnny Favorite. (laughs) But she ends up, like, kicking him out, right? Yeah, because he reveals the fact that he wants her to give him information about Johnny Favorite, and she's like, fuck you. And kicks him out. We should probably say here that Margaret tells Harry Angel that Favorite is dead when she kicks him out. He's dead, Mr. Angel. And if he isn't, he is to me. So then he goes after Epiphany. And how does he find out about Epiphany? He finds out while he's there in New Orleans that Evangeline Proudfoot is dead. He goes to visit her grave where a young... Lisa Bonet shows up with a little boy. Oh, she just happens to show up? Yeah, uh-huh. Okay. Uh, I mean, I imagine he would have investigated the group she was with. He would have run into her eventually. This is just how the movie introduces them, sort of. <laughs> the young boy is Lisa Bonet's son. And she is 17 at the time. Yes, 17 with like a, what, what is he, three, two, one? Something like that. This is the 50s, and it is in Louisiana. So she is Louisiana. Yeah. So people really, really don't care about black people normally there at this time, especially the cops, I should say. Law enforcement don't care. And she is already above the age of consent. Okay. Well, she's going to tell us later that she had sex with the gods. So I don't know what that's supposed to mean. There was It was a religious sort of ritual where they just have a big orgy and they feel spirituality through this and they just kind of fuck everything and everyone fucks each other and she got pregnant there so she doesn't even know who the father of her baby is you might see why i have no idea how much of this might be realistic or might not i'm not going to chime in on that you're also going to see a lot of naked lisa bonet yep uh, uh you know killing chickens and pouring their blood chicken feet and like things like that that i i have no idea if any of it is real and so i would understand if people know and take offense to that i just don't know and you're gonna see a really uncomfortable sex scene between mickey rourke and lisa bonet later on where he's gonna like strangle her and yeah nine months or whatever the fuck that movie is called this is not nine and a half weeks nine and a half weeks this is not (laughs) This sex scene is very uncomfortable and it pretty much turns into a rape scene. But like when he's done, she doesn't care. And it's no, very I think, uncomfortable. I think strange. she was actually into it. She didn't act like she was. Well, in the moment, you're right. No, I totally understand. I'm saying it does. It, it gets this real strong rape vibe. But at the end of it, she was like, yeah, that was hot. Like, so I don't, I don't know. 
that she says that it's hot, she just seems like, okay, that happened. That's what happened. She she then gets in the bath and she's still chatting to him. And I know that's not post-fact consent. You know, I understand that that's not okay. But I'm just saying that she seemed really chill with everything. Except for in that moment where she was screaming because he was choking her. And it's very uncomfortable. Yes. According to her, it was one of the last things that they filmed. They didn't choreograph any of it. So the two of them, after all the filming they did together, just got on the bed and just started doing shit. She described it as three hours of sex with the director screaming more blood. (laughs) And that neither of them had ever done a nude scene before. So they were both kind of like uncomfortable together. And that made it a lot easier on both of them. But yeah, oh yeah, I forgot to mention there's blood falling everywhere. And then when the sex is done, their blood's nowhere to be found. Mm -hmm. Who else does he talk to that dies? Toot Sweet. Yes. He finds... Which, by the way... Toot Sweet means fast, right? (laughs) I don't know. I know it from the song from the movie Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Toot Sweet. I can't even, I can't remember. It used to play over and over and over again at this candy store that I worked at. And I hated that his name was that because it reminded me of So Toot Sweet is, is French and it just means quickly. And so it's a play on words in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and this because he plays whatever horn in jazz. And, and so he toots sweet. And that's what it is in... Chitty she bang bang. It's a candy uh-huh. sweet that you can make noise on. Toot, yeah. Toot sweet. I can understand how you make that connection. But anyway, this toot sweet also participates in this voodoo church. And when Harry follows him into the restroom after they have a conversation, he gets really upset. They find a chicken claw on the urinal, which really makes Toots nervous. Uh, Harry shows up at his place later that night and assaults him, gets all the information he can out of him, and then writes his name and phone number or where he's staying at the hotel and uh, on a piece of paper and shoves it in his mouth and leaves him there. And then has another nightmare. And then Tootsweet ends up dead. Mm-hmm. Having his genitals removed and shoved down his mouth. Again, I know we're not supposed to know yet. <laughs> I just I don't understand why De Niro is killing these people. I guess they helped. Kind of. Yeah, I think this is just a way to torture Johnny Favorite for trying to get away. But it's not torturing Johnny Favorite. Johnny Favorite is not aware of what's happening he as far be. as we know. He will be, though, and that's the point. By, By the, the end, yes. he still thinks he's Harold. No, he doesn't. He keeps saying, I know who I am. I know who I am. That's him being in denial. And the very end of the movie, which we're getting ahead of ourselves, he's like, I'm going to hell. Yeah, but he doesn't take that as the guy who should be going to hell. He takes that as Harold. He's like, I'm going to hell and there's nothing I can do about it because I'm stuck with this guy inside of me. No, I think it's... You and I read the ending very differently, which might have a big reason why we have a very different I know, opinion. No, totally. On the film. I understand. I understand. Like I said, the ending doesn't it, it it doesn't land very well. He is struggling to come to the terms of the fact that he is Johnny favorite. That's his struggle. That's his conflict, and that he did kill these people 
because that is his real personality. He is not, I, I don't know if he's living in the body of this sailor, which we'll discuss more later when the, when the stuff is revealed. And then just, there's this body that's just out there and is basically a vegetable and doesn't know anything. Uh, or if it's during the process, because the process worked poorly, he lost all of his memories but he still has those impulses or whatever. Or if it's Satan, just like, I'm going to fuck with you. I'm going to make you kill somebody. And then, and then you're going to get the electric chair or whatever. You're going to get hanged. Right. But as far as I saw the film, uh -huh. none of this was happening to the guy he wanted it to happen to. It was all happening to this poor guy, Harold, whose soul got taken over by another. Okay. So you read it as... Harold Angel, sailor, home from the war, gets picked up in Times Square, gets another soul put in his body, and then he's struggling with dealing with that. I think that's very possible. I'm not saying that I, I don't think that's what happened. I would probably like to read the book to see what it actually writes on the page. I took it as they were trying to swap bodies with this sailor. They did, but in the process, it got fucked up. Johnny Favorite lost his identity as Favorite, but he still was just Johnny Favorite, who's now creating a new identity in this body called Harry Angel. And Harry Angel, his soul, went into Johnny Favorite's body and went off to war or whatever, got fucked up and all of this. And again, he's though, dead. why? Why does he say at the end, I know who I am, I know who I am? Because it's ironic. He doesn't know who he is. He's finding out who he is right now. It's irony. You're trying to frame me. Cypher, I know who I am. You murdered them people. I never killed nobody. I didn't kill Fowler. And, and I didn't kill Toots. And I didn't kill Margaret. And I didn't kill Cruz Mark. I didn't kill no one. I'm afraid you did, Johnny. My name's not Johnny. All killed by your own hand. Guided by me, naturally. Frankly, you were doomed from the moment you slit that young boy in half. Johnny. For 12 years, you've been living on borrowed time and another man's memories. He's saying he didn't know who he was before. So my, my problem still stands. Mm -hmm. De Niro wasn't getting revenge on favorite at that point. He was just making this innocent guy kill these people, and mm -hmm. he didn't know why. Okay? Mm -hmm. Then here, why would it be like a struggle? Like, who am I? I don't know who I am. And then he has to, uh, and then he remembers, but he doesn't say that he remembers. I don't think there's any implication that he ever becomes Johnny Favorite again. It's too late. He's not Johnny Favorite anymore. He lost that identity. Satan is Fucking with him, it doesn't matter that Satan's not getting what he wants, really, which is to punish Johnny Favorite. Johnny Favorite tried to renege on a deal with the devil. He fucked it up. He lost his his identity. He became this hairy angel person, and that's all Satan has to work with. And he is so fucking pissed off at this guy that he's going to fuck with him because that's all he has. That's his only option right now, is either to just let it go or, of which, of course, Satan can't do, or fuck with what he has. And that's what he's doing. I'm saying that kind of sucks as a plot for me. I mean, it does because it's not very fair, right? It's not actual revenge. 
who says Satan's fair? It's a tragedy. So we just watched torture porn. No, I think we watched a mystery that was interesting and we watched compelling art that was beautiful. And it is a movie of multitudes. And because you don't like the fact that the guy who's being punished knows why he's being punished, it, that's what you're making the entire movie about. I think what we're learning about is is Satan. We are seeing somebody be punished and them not know why. And then it is revealed to them why they're being punished. And they're not even that same person anymore. But that fucking happens to people in movies. That happens to people in real life. Absolutely. But I don't find that interesting or compelling in any way. Like, it felt like, you know, that Black Mirror episode. With the, where she's being punished over and over again for yeah. what she did. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's very much like that. I don't find that interesting. I understand why you don't find that interesting. I do. And I don't blame you for that. But there's a lot more here than that element of the plot. There's a lot more going on. If you want to read this as a story of a man who tried to get out of a deal with the devil and failed spectacularly, that's how you can read it. If you want to read it as, you know, oh, a detective mystery involving voodoo in the 50s, and that's what you want to see there, you can. This is why I'm saying the ending, it flubs the ending. It falls on its ass at the end. I freely admitted that in the very beginning. That is a downside of this movie. That said, there is a lot here that is not the ending that I really, really like. I will tell you, so we've kind of kind of spoiled exactly what's going on here. He's going to find out that he is, in fact, Johnny Favorite. He tried to do some voodoo arrangement with his fiance, who was into the occult, and swap bodies with some random sailor they found in Times Square on New Year's. So we will continually cut back to a New Year's celebration in Times Square. That's why we're watching this movie this week. They pick up this man. They try to swap bodies. And something goes wrong. I can't remember. I think they do explicitly state uh, something goes wrong. And then Johnny Favorite gets drafted into the war when he's in battle, gets blown up and his face is unrecognizable and he's basically a vegetable. He can't talk. He's walking around mindless. They put him in the hospital. And nobody can say that he's not Johnny Favorite. And the bigger complication is that now he's had a lot of extensive facial reconstructive surgery. They don't even know what he looks like anymore. When they take him out of the hospital, Cruzmark, Favorite's fiance, and her father, who is under this assumed name, take him out of the hospital, take him to Times Square, and just fucking leave him there. Her father, which, which he'll talk to, says as much. Favorite know you? No. He acts like a sleepwalker. He just stared out the window and watched the lights go by. Where were you taking him? Times Square. It was New Year's Eve, 1943. Just dropped him off in the crowd, and he walked out of our lives forever. Or so we thought. You're telling me that you paid 25 grand for a guy and you lost him in a crowd? I did it for my daughter. So that loose end is tied up that way, and hopefully Satan will think that Johnny Favorite's dead, not realizing that his soul, who has lost all of its memories, is actually Harry Angel. Do you see why I find this confusing? Uh, absolutely, it's incredibly confusing. <laughs> and it's not at all clear, 100%. But thinking about this sort of thing is fun for me. Mm -hmm. And I understand it's not fun for everybody. I get it, it's not everyone's bag. 
I also understand that I might be wrong on a couple of these things. What we also find out is that he had a child with Proudfoot, Evangeline Proudfoot, and that's why she was so interested in him and where he was. And when he disappeared, she died not long after. And that's also why Lisa Bonet, playing Epiphany Proudfoot, is actually Johnny Favorite's daughter. Johnny Favorite has sex with his daughter, but the soul doesn't even know he is Johnny Favorite. And so it's weird, sort of like almost old boy. Yes. But this came first, so. <laughs> right. And I guess, like I said, like the thing with the old boy is like, it makes sense. Like I get why he's doing this revenge. Obviously, I don't agree with it, but I understand it. Mm-hmm. But here it's just like the devil's like, meh, I'm going to make you have sex with your daughter. And you don't even know why. Like, and, and like. I think that's a bonus more than anything. I don't, <laughs> I don't think it was part of his plan necessarily. Thank like, you. So, Cruzmark... You have no idea who you are, which I guess, again, you could say, uh-huh. well, an old boy, he didn't know why he was doing it. Yeah, but I feel like that's totally different. I mean, it's pretty much the same, where at the end, they need it needs to be revealed to them who they are and what they did, that they didn't even realize they did in the first place, and why they deserve to be punished. And they're but not even that same... third party be a part of it, and he yes. had nothing to do with it. Well, they did you that in old boy, too. This poor guy. What about the young woman in Old Boy? Like, she's part of it now, too, and she didn't have anything to do with it. Her entire life was ruined. Her mother was killed, and she was sent to a foster family. Sorry for ruining all this Old Boy stuff. She was sent to a foster family, uh, all because she happened to be the daughter of somebody who didn't even realize what he did in the first place. Like, it's the same shit. So, like, I understand why it doesn't feel satisfying, but I don't think you can write off this movie just because it has this element, because there is a movie you love that also has this element that you don't write off. I think you don't like this movie for another reason, possibly because it is so convoluted and confusing on top of being unsatisfying and feels bad that somebody's being punished when they're not even that. I, I, I think that nothing. that's that. You could say the same thing about the main character in Old Boy. He did nothing. Right, but that guy doesn't understand that he did nothing. He thinks he went and told everybody. Right. And this, it's just the devil just being like, <laughs> yeah. somebody screwed me, so I'm going to screw over you. Right, and in this and in this instance, Johnny Favorite, the analog for what's-his-face in Old Boy, actually did something. Really bad and malicious. I mean, in context. To the devil. In context, I know. <laughs> to the devil, but you have to understand the devil's going to want revenge regardless of if you remember it or not. <laughs> this guy thinks that this stranger ruined his life and wants revenge. And that stranger doesn't even know he did anything. In this movie, in Angel Heart, it's a man who actively did something to screw over the devil and then forgot about it. If anything, this guy deserves punishment more than the dude in Old Boy. They're tragedies. It's going to suck. It is just super convoluted and hard to follow. And yeah, I, I, I could see why that would upset people. Moving on. So a lot of things happen. Let's wrap this, this up a little bit here. Cruise Mark is also killed, which we find out it was done by Harry Angel, Johnny Favorite. 
she gets a ceremonial dagger up her nether regions. Yes. Which is rough. Her father is drowned in a vat of gumbo. That's right. Lisa Bonet, Epiphany, Proudfoot, is killed. She was living in his hotel room for a while, and then he ended up killing her. Uh, so after he confronts the devil... I don't know if I understood that he ever killed her. I didn't write it down. Well, because this is where the movie ends. He confronts the devil, and there's this long... Oh, the melodrama about, who's the boy? Who is the boy? And I know who I am. I know who I am. And it's just, oh, just the melodrama is just so, like, tone it down a little bit. Like, think, what's in the box? But, like, over and over again. And the devil laughs at him. Ha, 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 ha. He, he throws up because he's sickened by what he's learned and what he knows now. He runs back to his hotel room to find epiphany and the cops are already there oh, that's right. and they've been hassling this him this whole time and she is dead on the bed and they bring her son out of the bathroom and the son sees the dead body on the devil bed eyes. yes and the, and the kid has devil eyes and the cop who is by the way pruitt taylor vince who we've seen before on this show in identity and constantine says to him you gotta burn for this angel and then Mickey Rourke has that final line of, I know. In hell. Which is super cheesy, but dramatic. It's a dramatic character moment of him coming to terms with, there's nothing I can do about this. I've been caught. I don't, I, who I am now, did not do anything to this Satan. But I understand it is a consequence of my past behavior that I don't remember. And now I'm going to burn for this. And he just kind of comes to terms with that. That sucks. And then we get these devil eyes in the baby, which is really, really dumb. And then over the credits, we get a more sustained sequence of him going downstairs in an elevator. You know, one of those el- gated elevators. And it just continues going down. It just I keeps did, going I down and then just keeps going down. down. How funny. Yeah. A couple of things I want to mention before we finish. Yes. I don't know who he's talking to, but at some point he asks somebody, you ever watch the Mickey Mouse Club? Today is a Wednesday. Anything can happen, day. You ever watch the Mickey Mouse Club? Because you know what today today is? Today is Wednesday. It's anything can happen, day. It's such an out of nowhere. <laughs> I mean, I assume it's a thing that they said on the Mickey Mouse Club. I assume. I assume, but like... What a weird comment to make. so fucking bizarre. <laughs> I was just like, anything can happen. Anything, anything can happen. happen. Yeah, it's the other cop. It's <laughs> Deimos's, the, the Inspector Deimos or whatever his, Detective Deimos or whatever his name is, his partner. He's just like, hey, you, what day is it? What day is today? What's the line? You there, boy, what day is it? It's Wednesday or whatever. You ever watch the Mickey Mouse Club? It's anything can happen day. or whatever. Like, he stops the cop to make this comment, and it is so weird. It was very weird. When she explains who Johnny Favorite was, she because at first when he asks Lisa Bonet who's Johnny Favorite, she says she doesn't know. Then the second time he asks her, she admits he was my dad. 
And my mom, all she ever told me about him was he was as close to pure evil as they come and a terrific lover. And in the next scene, she is going to have sex with this terrific lover. Yes. Uh-huh. Which, like we said, is going to become very uncomfortable. When you find out that she's his daughter. Well, yeah, but also it's, it's uncomfortable before that. Like, Oh, I, yeah, when it ends. Yeah, with, you don't know yeah. if she's if this is consensual anymore. It's very confusing. I think she's having an out-of-body experience. And I think so is he. I think that's his soul peeking through. I think that's Johnny favorite and his violence and his aggression. Every time it peeks through after he talks to somebody and then kills them, this is the same thing happening mid-coitus. That would make sense. That would make sense. I also thought it was funny. As you said, he's going to kill the lady's father, the rich guy, uh, in the gumbo. And I thought it was funny. When they first showed up, he said, ah, Cajun food kills me. Angel, let's walk over here. It's a little private, and uh, you can sample our gumbo. All right, I got an acid stomach. Sorry, Cajun cooking kills me. (laughs) Yep. There's the line when he finds out. He finally fucking finds... He's a really good detective, and for whatever reason, he couldn't figure out that he was dealing with Satan. (laughs) And he says, oh, your name's Lewis Cipher. Even your name is a dime store joke. <laughs> you didn't figure it out. <laughs> I would also say that most of the stuff we mentioned last week that this movie was rated X, mainly because of the sex scene. And so they had to cut a lot in order to get it an R and release it in theaters. Since then, all the home releases are all the unrated, rated X version. It's not actually unrated. They rated it in X. Um, so the rated X version is pretty much the only version you're ever going to see anymore unless you watch it on TV. The director, Alan Parker, called the process a wasteful, pointless, and expensive exercise, which I am inclined to agree with. <laughs> so, Kelsey. Yes. What do you think Angel Heart has on Rotten Tomatoes? I'm going to guess it's really high. You think? Yes. I'm going to imagine that people really liked this movie when it came out. Plus, it's got the Nero, Mm -hmm. who was at the top of his game at the time. I'm going to say 83. 80%. Okay. Angel Heart lures viewers into its disturbing, brutal mystery with authentic noir flair and a palpably hypnotic mood, which is what Kelsey and others who would be inclined to agree with her, that's what they see as boring. <laughs> to me, I see it as a, a mood. You know, it has a vibe. And it's a chill, hypnotic vibe, and I like that about it. But I to- again, I totally get why you would see this and be like, if it's not engaging you, it's terribly boring. I get it. <laughs> yes. It has a Metacritic of 61 and a cinema score of a B minus. Yeah. Do you think all that is overrated or underrated? I think the movie is very good. I just think it's boring. And that can count against it. I think that's a legitimate complaint. You know what? I'll give it an 80. Okay. That's what I, I think. Why, why right. do you think you why do you think 80? I think it's very good. I just don't ever want to watch it again. (laughs) Nothing happens. I think this is dead on. I think 80 fits. I think where this movie shines is in its acting, 
and in its mood. The intriguing sort of metaphysical mystery going on. I love, love, love that shit. I'll also give it an 80. Speaking of acting, this is apparently where the Mickey Rourke-Robert De Niro feud began. Mickey Rourke really does not like Robert De Niro. Uh, Robert De Niro is, in many ways, he uses a lot of uh, method techniques, and he thought it was in the movie's best interest that De Niro and Rourke not socialize outside of their scenes. So if they built a friendship or whatever, it, it wouldn't ruin the chemistry of opposition that they have, right? And Rourke thought that that was really fucking rude that De Niro wouldn't ever talk to him. Doesn't believe in method acting. I don't think so. But also, just in general, he was on set and his co-star never fucking said word one to him. It's fucking rude, whether he knows the reasons or not. Well, I mean... Other people complain people about that, that shit all the time. Yeah, and people complain about it all the time, too. Uh, Tim Curry wouldn't talk to the kids as Pennywise because he wanted them to be terrified of him. Sure. But I think the problem is, is we're working with adults and adults that can talk to each other to explain that. <laughs> and Rourke has kind of carried this animosity with him throughout his entire career. And he has said publicly negative things about De Niro. Wow. Yeah. I bet Robert De Niro doesn't give a shit. <laughs> He's, he talks about how he used to be his, his like, acting hero. And well, that probably has a lot to do with it. Yeah, uh-huh. He was he felt probably by very his upset that yeah. he said, yeah, I would uh-huh. be too if I was in a movie with my favorite actress and she didn't want to act to me. That would suck. I would understand why and I would probably respect it more than he does, but right, I would yeah. understand the upset. Yeah. All right, that is Angel Heart and the first of our two New Year's movies. Again, reminder, this is a New Year's movie because throughout the film, we constantly flash back to New Year's in Times Square. Which is when he lost his soul. Yes. Moving on to our next one, 2019's Midnight Kiss, part of the Into the Dark series brought to us by Blumhouse and Hulu. Written by Erlinger Thoridson and directed by Carter Smith, starring Augustus Prue, Scott Evans, Lucas Gage, and Aiden Mayeri. Scott Evans, who plays the character of Joel, is Chris Evans' younger brother, serving up strong Adam Conover vibes from Adam Ruins Everything. You might recognize Lucas Gage as the guy who the director commented on his, the status of his apartment in the middle of a Zoom audition and didn't realize he wasn't muted these poor people live in these tiny apartments like i'm looking at his you know background and he's got his tv and and you know yeah mute it i know it's a apartment that's why give me this job so i can get a better one all right um ready oh my god i'm so so sorry no it's totally Listen, I'm living in a i'm living in a four by four box it's fine just give me the job and we'll be fine And it caused a little mini uproar in the acting community during quarantine. Jesus. Uh, Yeah, so he got a lot of sort of industry cred by being public about that moment. Mm -hmm. Director Carter Smith, interestingly, is actually a photographer for like magazines like Vogue and GQ and stuff like that. And he didn't direct his first thing until he directed a short in 2006 which is a horror movie called Bug Crush. 
and he won the short filmmaking award at the Sundance Film Festival. Wow, go him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the F- Sundance Film Festival, I know that you're not going to be able to keep this in here. Actually, I think you can now. Fresh is going to be released at the Sundance Film Festival. Oh, is it? Am I finally January. going to get to see it? Well, as long as it does well at Sundance and somebody yeah, picks maybe. it up for Yeah, somebody has to pick it up, huh? Oh, man. But you can't read the goddamn... Synopsis? Synopsis! Is it going to ruin it? Yes! Okay, I won't. So I won't. Fucking I won't mad. look at anything about it. You just let me know when it's available for me to watch and I will watch it. Okay. Kelsey liked Fresh... I'm not allowed to say that. And she really wants me to see it. (laughs) What is Midnight Kiss about? A group of friends who get together every year for New Year's do so, and it goes poorly. Yeah, you know, how a lot of our synopses end. (laughs) It is available with a subscription to Hulu, and that's it, because it's produced by Hulu. Should people watch Midnight Kiss? I'm going to say yes. I would also say yes. I thought it was thoroughly entertaining. It's not perfect. It has problems. It does have problems, and we will talk about them. Entertaining. It really is. Slasher, and I liked it. You should know. We should point out it is very, very gay. The writer, the director, and most of the actors are gay. One thing to point out, because I know people complain about it, this isn't the trope of straight filmmakers killing off gay characters. This is gay men writing, directing, and acting in something for themselves. Except for one straight woman. And one straight actor, I think. I think Lucas Gage is straight, but I don't know. Undetermined. So it's not like exploitative, and I think that's the key factor there. If you see things that you think are negative stereotypes of gay people, like this is made by gay people talking about gay people, shouldn't they know pretty well? I've known gay people who are like each one of these men mm-hmm. and Agreed. they all exist in real life. And I think that that it's a good thing that they're being shown on screen in a movie made the way they want to make it. I think that's really cool. There's a lot I really liked about this movie. However, a lot of what I liked about this movie is all the ways that it's not a horror movie. Oh, it's very funny. There are a lot of really funny yes. lines. It, it, it is a dramedy and the drama and the comedy i really liked all the elements that make it a horror kind of basic yeah it's way too predictable that's its biggest problem Uh is that you know who the killer is right off the bat right off the bat we'll talk about the way it falls short but it was a very entertaining watch i was thoroughly engaged the entire time for a change you get a bunch of naked dudes on screen (laughs) not a single naked woman and it was pretty funny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, like you say, it was, it was it was pretty funny. It was very entertaining. And I enjoyed myself throughout, which is not a track record that Into the Dark has with us. No. So, yeah, I think you should watch this. Assuming watching a bunch of gay dudes being gay isn't going to bother you. You can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 2019's Midnight Kiss. Hey, Joel. Did you pick a card for the new year yet? Change is coming. Out with the old, in with the new. Exactly. I'll see you soon. All right, bye. Small bear, come here, give me a hug. Look at the angles, huh? 
How have you been? Okay, she's spoken for. Remember when you guys were just switching each other in and out of your bedroom? Like the sluttiest game of musical chairs. And you guys? Oh, yes. We don't have to do this. Any game? Yeah. No, no, babe, I want you. I don't want things to be different. Just come over here. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does Midnight Kiss begin? With a montage of New Year's Eve's. <laughs> we see that the same group of people get together every year. 2013, 2015, 2017, 2019. I don't know why we're skipping years. Neither do I. It's not clear. Unless they just don't want to bore you by showing you every single year. They could have swapped through them faster. Or they could have done it like Brady Bunch style, you know. Yeah, uh, just the final photos or whatever. Yeah, Yeah, uh Mm -hmm. something like that. But then we wouldn't get to see a moment where somebody asked somebody else to be their midnight kiss. In the middle of this montage, I forget which year it was. It must have been 2013. We hear somebody ask somebody else. Will you be my midnight kiss? And then we see two people kissing, and it's someone who will be our main character going forward. Cam walks away from somebody wearing a mask to this group of friends. But it and all then they go take a picture. so fast, and you don't know who the characters are yet that, like, you don't understand at all what just happened. Yes, and <laughs> I agree, but person in the mask is the killer, like, right away. That's that's what I knew. And it might have just been because that I just happened to lock on to that moment there and not any of the other things that were happening in on the screen at that time. But since I did, oh, that's the killer. And I'm sure some other people saw even more because there are moments also in this montage where we will see the killer in these years. And they will really point it out at the end, but... Yeah. They're here in this montage. Yes. But so is this 2019 or is this 2020? This has got to be 2019. This is 2019. Okay, so that means then that they've been doing this since 2013. So that means that this is the seventh year in a row. Yeah. You might be wondering, why did the killer wait this long? We don't know. (laughs) We're just trying to get closer and closer and trying to get included to give away the motivation here. It just seemed, I, I wrote down somewhere here later on that it, if that's the only thing, if it's just like, oh, you gave me a kiss one year and then I'm going to kill everyone seven years later, it seemed like a really weak motivation for a killer and that there had to be more, right? There had to be more. That's the problem. That's the big problem with this movie. And there isn't. That yeah. is all it is. Uh-huh. There's more story to it. Yeah, like the idea is that the guy was gay, but he was not out yet. And he admired all the other people who who were just out and proud and having fun and being their genuine selves. And this guy kissed him and, you know, oh, it woke me up, blah, blah, blah. But then it didn't matter to you. And it's just like, yeah. Yeah. 
A lot of people kiss a lot of people. It doesn't mean uh-huh. anything to them. But they, you know, read too much into it, and it's it can be complicated being gay, you know? I remember very specifically, I had a quote-unquote friend, I don't know if you'd call him that, but I had a quote-unquote friend in college who, every time I would drink with her, would try to get me to hook up with him. And I would, like, I always said no. And one time he was like, come on, why won't you even, why won't you even kiss me? And I was like, because I know it wouldn't mean anything to you. Uh-huh. You know, like, it's odd to me that there are people in this world that think that a kiss means something. It's weird. Oh, no, it certainly does. But not on New Year's. Not a celebratory ringing in the New Year's kiss. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it just, it just reeks of nice guy syndrome. You know, the idea that, oh, if I can just get in and, and, like, you know, have this moment, it'll change everything and we'll start a relationship and we'll, like, you know, reading way too much into the situation. Except that he doesn't try to. He's so mad that the guy kissed him and then walked away. Like, that so angered him that he instigates a relationship with somebody else. Like, it's just like he doesn't even try to get the the guy to be interested well, I think in him. What we find out later is he keeps trying to insert himself in their celebration every year because at first didn't know who they were, random, right? Comes back to a similar party the next year, finds them again. Probably went to many different parties to find them, and so on. Just trying to get closer and closer, trying to. Increase the odds that there'll be some sort of interaction where they could be friends, where they could be lovers, and it just never happens. And so they need to find their way into the group elsewise. You imagine doing the same party seven years in a row? Sounds boring. <laughs> every other year. Maybe that's what they're saying. They only did they it only every did other it. year. <laughs> anyway, it's 2019, okay? Yes. And... I forget which one gets the note card that says "Never forget me." It's it's probably Cam. No, Cam gets my "Be My Midnight Kiss." Cam one. gets like three of them. Does he? Yeah, I think so. It's very unclear. Okay, so the one of the biggest problems <laughs> with this movie is they have just like sort of generically handsome men. <laughs> it's very difficult to tell who's who until you've made it into the movie and you can start like identifying people and what their relationships are and it can be very very complicated and so keeping track of important things like who's receiving what when and under what circumstances can be very hard when you're doing it first thing in the movie and i haven't even gotten to know these people yet Mm -hmm. so it can be hard to keep track of that like i know you guys as the filmmakers know who each of your actors are but does the audience I thought the one who dies here gets the never forget me. Maybe. Probably. Which doesn't make any sense. Why would he remember him? It's just a, it's just a creepy thing that this person gives to everyone in this friend. Exactly. And that's the problem. As Chris put it earlier, this movie uses horror as more of like a reason to exist. Uh-huh. So it's like, well, what do what do horror movies do? Well, the killer always leaves notes. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. And they didn't put much more thought into it. Sure. Yeah. So Ryan dies. We see his ass and his V, and then he dies. He gets his throat slit in the shower before he could leave. But here's the thing. No one was expecting him to come. Yes. Another horror movie trope. 
Yes. And it is kind of creepy. Uh, as the guy's dying, he fil- the killer films it. And, like, throws confetti on him as he's holding his throat and bleeding and he- just staring up. And that's kind of fucked up. Now, what is the killer wearing? A gimp suit. Oh, right. With these weird ears. Does it have ears? It has these little, like, weird little pointy ears. Like, I don't know, are you a furry or are you, like, a sub? Like, what's going on with <laughs> the suit i don't know i did not notice that is he the one who was doing the tarot cards or is that our See, main guy i i don't know there i know yeah i think somebody is talking to ryan on the phone right and it might be cam i don't remember and does the whole like oh death and I, it's so funny Because death came up, and I'm like, oh, I hope they don't think that they're implying anything, because in tarot, death just means change. And then immediately the character was like, well, it's going to be a year of change. I'm like, ha-ha, they got it. (laughs) But still death. Yeah, still death, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, because Ryan was canceling on their annual trip this year, because of some reason I don't remember. He had a boyfriend, a sugar daddy, who was taking him on a trip. Right. Which, why wouldn't he be like, where's my boyfriend? Was it Hannah he was talking to? I no, I think he was talking to our main guy. All right, that's and then our main guy gets the note, be my midnight kiss. Yeah. So anyway. Which he thinks is from his ex fucking with him. Yeah. So that's Ryan. You're never going to really need to know anything about Ryan other than the fact that he was part of the group and he is now already dead before the festivities start. Mm-hmm. So then we have breakfast where we meet four of our main characters. Uh, we have Cam, Cameron. Played by Augustus Prue, who is, who is the best looking of them. Yeah, he's a handsome dude. He's one of the better actors. I think he does a fantastic job in this movie. Mm-hmm. Really, really like him, I think, as a character in this. He's a little bit mopey, but, you know, for he has his own personal reasons for being so. And he shows a wide range of emotions and connections with different characters. And he does so very well. I thought he did a fantastic job. And then we meet Hannah, the girl in the group, played by Aiden Myeri. Which I don't understand. I don't get her character. It totally exists. It's a total thing. Absolutely, it's a thing. She is a straight girl who hangs out with a group of gay guys. That's not my problem. My problem is that this is her seventh year in a row of going to this New Year's Eve party that she hates because it's always filled with gay guys and nobody cares that she's left alone every year. It's just like... Why would she do that seven years in yeah. a row? I don't understand. They're just, just supposed to be because they're such a tight-knit group. There is no alternative for her. She can't just say no. She doesn't want to do this annual event with her best friends. She feels obligated. So she has her own little story here. But she's a fun-loving woman. Uh, she's not, like, mopey the entire fucking time. Although she will continue to mention that. She always Yeah, I'd say she's pretty alone. mopey throughout the film. Yeah, just when she's talking about that. Like, she's explicitly talking about that. The rest of the time, she just wants to have fun. Yes. We also meet the couple, the explicit couple in this story. Uh, Joel, played by Scott Evans, and Logan, played by Lucas Gage. And Joel is just a fucking asshole. He's terrible what my like my second note here is joel is awful (laughs) this is chris evans younger brother 
Yeah, and he is Cam's ex. They're kind of all exes. They've all slept together, but like... We will learn about their incestuous relationships, yes. But Cam and Joel had like a serious relationship going Uh on. And Joel is the one who created the game. We're going to learn about the game, yes. And he is the, like, and so he's the one who kind of instigated the cheating aspect of their friendships. And that tore Cam and Joel apart. Yeah. Now, what we're going to come to understand is that Joel truly does, like, maybe not love, but obsesses over Cam. But it doesn't make any sense. Because he could have Cam if he wanted him. I think the uh, problem is that Joel doesn't feel like he can admit that he wants Cam. That's what it is. But I don't get why. But I don't get why. Because here he is getting married to this other guy. Yeah, so we find out that him and Logan, who's the new member of the group, uh, are now engaged. Logan is going to be our new person through which everything is going to be explained to us. Why would Joel, whose whole thing is like, nobody can get me, why would he settle down when he actually wants to settle down with Cam, who he could be with? Well, because Logan's kind of like the young trophy husband. And he's not going to get the person he wants anyway. He might as well dominate this young man. So what you're saying is Joel being with Cam would mean admitting he was wrong, whereas staying with this new guy, Logan, Uh is just a dominating thing. Yeah. I see. That makes sense. Because Joel is an insufferable person insofar as, you know, he's anal, he sets up itineraries for the trip, and, like, he admonishes people when they don't follow the plan and like things like that. He he annoys everyone and everyone comments on it, but he is a very handsome man and he seems otherwise perfectly nice, but he is just insufferable to be around. And yeah, I think he'd have to admit he was wrong. I don't know that I would call him perfectly nice. He sucks. Ostensibly. I think he's a good person underneath, but everything that he put, except for the fact that he is also a murderer. (laughs) So, no, I would not call him perfectly nice. I don't mean, like, he's a good person. I'm saying, like, it's not one of those things where you're like, why would anyone be friends with him? He is an asshole or whatever. Well, he's fun. Yeah, He creates a party atmosphere. And he likes people. And he just, he's just anal. And that's really fucking annoying. And, but, I mean, I think he's not, like, outwardly, he's not, like, doing mean things and treating people horrible. Like, if you were to make a list of, you know, friends and enemies, he wouldn't be on anyone's enemies list. He's just annoying and judgmental, right? But he's not, like, a villain. At least not yet. So anyway, Zachary will join. Zachary, who has to leave early. Yes, who lets us know that they have to leave early. Um, Zachary is played by Chester Lockhart, who is gender fluid, and this character is as well. So you'll hear them referred to as he, she, and they throughout the movie. Don't let it throw you. Zach makes a comment about Joel and Cam's past. We know that they were together at one point. Who would have thought the two of us would end up being perpetually single? I mean, you're always so cute, and I'm... A goddess. Right, just epic. I mean, come on, yeah. yeah. In a different timeline, it would have been you getting hitched to Joel. Cam will make a phone call to Zachary asking them to stay 
for this whole entire trip. And Zachary reveals that they have to leave early. We don't meet Zachary until they show up at the party. Mm. At the house. Well, while they're all talking and eating, <laughs> I don't remember who said it, but somebody says, everyone shut up. And Cam goes, no one was talking. And that was a really funny line. Oh, yeah. God, what? I think it was Hannah. They're <laughs> driving and they're explaining the game, I think, or whatever. They're going to they're, we're going to get the explanation for the game. And yeah, Hannah tells everyone to shut up. <laughs> Cam's like, no one was talking. <laughs> Did Joel not tell you? No, Joel hasn't told me. Tell me. Oh, my God. Okay, I'm telling you. Everyone, shut up. No one's talking. You, you're talking. Literally, no one's talking. Cam, no shut up. Talking. Okay. No it was a very real moment. And that's that's one of the best things about this movie. The actors have, and the writer, and I guess the director, too, have tapped into a very real dynamic between these people. It feels real. Yes. And that's the best part of this movie is that they're very funny together. Yeah. Uh-huh. So... Hannah will explain the game, and this is the game. You know, on New Year's Eve, when you're, like, hoping for that perfect kiss at midnight, and you're just, like, waiting for someone to come and whisk you away, and you'll have that special, magical moment. Yeah, I think I know the feeling. Well, a few years ago, we got really sick of waiting, and we were like, we're going to take matters into our own hands and make sure it happens. And hence, the Midnight Kiss game was born. Okay. Game? That sounds fun. It's okay. But there are rules to the game. Three rules. Rule number one, it has to be one guy who's a stranger, can't be anybody in this group. Rule number two, it has to be consensual. Which they nail really, really hard, and it's like, okay, movie. <laughs> yeah. Rule number two, it has to be consensual. Like, duh. Obviously, do I even need to say it? You can't just walk up to someone and shove your tongue down their throat, because that's cheating, and it's too easy. You have to, like, make them want it. Okay, wait, wait, what's uh, the third rule? Rule number three is after you get your kiss, you can decide to either let your guy go or you can keep him for the night, but only until sunrise. Between midnight and sunrise, you're free reign. Anything goes, nothing can be held against you. Do whatever you want. While they're all talking, Cam is looking at like a dating app. And oh, they're talking about Grinder. Joel's fiance is disgusted by this. Logan. Yeah, and he's just like, is that really what you want, to hook up with someone from an app? How gross. Well, he seems like young and idealistic. This is where we learn about their all their incestuous relationships, right? Where we learn a couple of things. Everyone has had sex with Ryan, the guy who's already dead, except Joel brags that he was the only one who topped him. Oh, but I was the first one to fuck Ryan, and then he had sex with Cam and Zach. And Joel. Well, yes, but I am the only one that fucked him. There Whatever. it is. He's a top. Now he's moved on up the West Hollywood food chain. Ouch, mean. Cam and Joel had a relationship. Because for a while, remember when you guys were just switching each other in and out of your bedrooms? I do. It's like the sluttiest game of musical chairs ever. If you guys were a group of girlfriends, you wouldn't be friends anymore, or you'd have killed each other. Oh, okay, but we're not girls. It's like a totally different social context. I mean, it worked for us, right? For a while. We will find out later that it ended subsequent to the creation of this game. Joel was just kind of using it as an excuse to sleep around, and it wasn't a good experience for Cam. Cam and Hannah dated before he was out. And you guys? 
Oh, yes. And then he realized he was gay and came out and they were best friends. I got very confused through all of that because I still didn't know all their names and stuff. Right. They're dropping a lot of names. And Zach, who has since shown up and taken a nap because he was at a party all night and hadn't gone to bed yet the night before, Zach is sleeping. And he's going to be attacked by the killer. Yes. And it's going to be very frustrating because you do, you do not believe that this killer would be would so easily overtake this guy. It's really important once you know all the details that this doesn't really make sense because when Zach is killed, uh, he wakes up and like starts to sort of like get ready and the house is empty and no one's outside. And then this person comes and kills them in the gimp suit by breaking a bottle and shoving the broken bottle down his throat. And leaving him in a closet. And you're like, where on earth was he in relation to everyone else who is up and doing shit? Because you find out later that, no, the house isn't empty. People are there. Mm -hmm. And we see this killer just sort of walk casually through the house as if it's empty of everyone but a sleeping Zach. Yeah. But that's not the case. Mm -hmm. So a little weird. Yeah, not thoroughly thought out. And later on... Joel or Cam or both or whatever are going to get a text message from Zach's phone saying that they decided they were going to go to that house party anyway, and so they're not going to make it. Another person who is expected to not be there. Yes. Meanwhile, Logan and Joel are alone together. You might be like, huh, that's weird later on. This doesn't really make sense. Then right. he could be there. Yeah. But okay. <laughs> But anyway, so Logan has just put on cologne, and... Joel says he fucking hates it. Don't ever wear cologne again. Yeah, fucking take it off or whatever. Like, like I say, this relationship is really just an opportunity for Joel to be a dom. Yes. And to, yeah, he's very rude uh-huh. to Logan. They all decide to take Molly, which doesn't really affect the story at it all. It doesn't really, No. It's just they're having fun. They're getting high. There's a conversation between Logan and Joel about how Joel wants Logan to participate in the game. Even though they're in a relationship, they're fucking engaged. No, Logan wants to do it. Joel doesn't. We don't have to do this. The game? Yeah. No. No, no, babe, I want you. I I don't want things to be different just because I'm here. Meanwhile... Hannah and Cam are talking together, and Hannah explains that she's upset because nobody seems to notice that she's the only straight girl who never has anybody to hook up with. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, I don't really see how that's their problem, since you're hanging out with a bunch of gay guys. But anyway. It's not a consideration, I guess, that they're not. Well, she says to him, would you ever go to a straight bar with me? And he goes, what would I do there? It's like, yeah, exactly. exactly. What do I do when I go to your clubs? Uh But that will come up at the very end again. Yeah, she ends up, uh, he recommends that she make out with a go-go dancer. Because all the, the only straight people at the gay clubs are the bouncers and the go-go dancers. And she does. (laughs) She ends up kissing one of the go-go dancers. Go her. So Logan ends up hooking up with two guys at the club. Yeah, in like a hallway and Cam walks by, which is an interesting conundrum. Cam is really hurt 
by Joel and Logan's relationship. It's constantly like rubbing salt in the wound of his failed relationship with Joel. Could say something about this. Decides not to. Instead, because walks that's off. the game. The yeah, uh-huh. game says that they can. So then Cam's like not going to be petty about it. Joel tries to hook up with Cam. And Cam, realizing that he still does have power over Joel, uses that to rub it in his face. And he's like, you know, Logan's going to realize that you're a dick just like I did. And he's going to leave just like I did. Which is an interesting piece of information to yeah. know that he left Joel. Now, I have that of written course, down here, too. Now, of course, it's because Joel cheated on him. Like, you know, like, we all know that Joel was hooking up with a bunch of guys and Used Cam, the game, the creation of the game, as an excuse to do that. And Cam eventually got sick of it and left. Yeah. I think it's weird you're pushing Logan to play this game. The first person you try to hook up with is me. I'm not pushing anyone, all right? Logan wants to play. We talked about it. I'm sure you talked about it. I'm sure he said yes to everything he said. One day Logan's gonna wake up and he's gonna realize that most of the things he said yes to, he doesn't really want. Then he's gonna resent you. And then he's gonna leave you just like I did. But again, it's odd because earlier it felt like Cam really wanted to be with Joel. Yeah, I think it's more of a hurt, a pain, than it is a longing. Later on, Cam and Hannah are going to be talking, and Hannah's going to direct him to this guy, Dante, who's staring at him. Yes, and he and Dante are going to dance, and they're going to like each other, but then Dante's friend gets sick, so Cam goes to get water for him, but when he returns... Uh, Dante is gone, and I love that when he goes up to the bar, he asks for water, and he yes. gets a free. He just bottle gets a free water, bottled water because he said it was an emergency. Work. Yeah, not at all. That bottle of water would cost you ten dollars. <laughs> <laughs> but so that night, Joel, like it, you know, they've all gone home, and Joel is very, very angry because Cam was not putty in his hand like he thought he would be. Yeah, it's like he's regretting. Getting engaged to Logan, breaking it off with Cam. And he's taking it out on everybody. Like, he yells at them, like, saying, like, you all take this all for granted. You don't appreciate anything I do for you guys. He he explicitly tells this to Hannah after the club. And Hannah's like, what are you talking about? We're still friends. And he's like, we don't even talk anymore, you and I. And that's when Hannah's like, you know what? Fine. Maybe this should be the last year we do this. Mm Mm-hmm. Logan, I think, is like, I'm going for a walk. Don't wait up to Joel. Yeah. And we assumed that Logan was going to die if he wasn't the killer. Right. Yeah, there are two options. Logan dies here or Logan's the killer. Yes. But we were pretty sure he was the killer. Yeah. My my next note is that the motivation for whoever this killer is would be really weak. The scenario is dramatic for Cam and Joel. But not for the killer, unless the killer is Logan. Yeah. So either your villain's motivation fucking sucks, or your villain is incredibly obvious. One of the two. Yeah, no. The motivation is so weak. That's the biggest flaw. It's the biggest problem with the movie, yeah. All the stuff that make it a horror. That's the (laughs) biggest problem with the movie. But so Cam gets a text from Dante 
which says, I'm outside your house, come find me, which I thought was the murderer. Yeah. Like Teasing I was, him out. We, we were very surprised when it was actually Dante. Uh-huh. And when at we, no time did we think the killer was Dante. Right, though. but we were we were thinking the killer was going to be out there, so it was very surprising that it actually was Dante. And I'm like, okay, I know Dante's not the killer, right? But he sure seems weird they are, right they now. They're playing like, it up like that. This is either super charming or really creepy. Oh, can it be both? We find out that Dante was a waiter, would do events and things like that, and did an event here in the past for Joel's parents. And so just kind of put two and two together and was like, oh, he's probably staying at this place that I've been to before. But so they're hooking up. They're happy. But they realize, uh uh-oh, we don't have any condoms. So Cam runs inside to get condoms. And while that happens, out of nowhere... Joel fucking kills Dante. So this is how you know that Joel is not the killer. Because the two things sort of happen, right? First, we see Joel from the window of his bedroom or whatever, looking outside and seeing Cam and Dante on this outdoor bed. Seething. And then, later on, we cut back to the killer in the gimp suit watching them. And is outside watching them. So you're like, okay, well, it's not Joel, but maybe that's probably what they're trying to set up, right? Then you see when Dante's alone and it has his eyes closed or whatever, and then somebody wraps a sheet around his neck and he's like, ooh, you know, sexy or whatever, and then doesn't stop. Uh, you notice that the person's hands and arms are completely bare and that they're wearing a short sleeve shirt. And I'm like, Is that just Joel just killing him? (laughs) Like, what's happening here? And, you know, since you went Joel seething, killer watching, Joel back in his, like, did he change into his outfit and then change back out? No, of course not. Joel is not the villain killer of the story, but he is killing Dante right now. Yes, he's a psychopath. He doesn't know how to deal with his anger and other emotions and does so violently. And that surprised me. Yeah. I was like, whoa, where did that come from? It's an interesting wrinkle in what would otherwise be a pretty paint-by-numbers story, as far as, like, individual plot beats go. There's a pretty funny line when Hannah and Cam find the, the condoms. She's like, yep, I'm so prepared for my night alone. Yeah, so every time it comes up, Hannah's talking about how it sucks to be the straight girl at a gay New Year's. <laughs> and it's... Kind of funny, kind of sad. Cam is looking for Dante, and he's like, I found I found Dante's clothes, so I think he's running around naked somewhere. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's like in the Santa Claus. He's running around naked somewhere. <laughs> Just found his clothes in the garage, so I think he's around here somewhere naked. He's naked somewhere. And this is when Cam will confront Joel about the cards that everyone received cuz not uh-huh. Cam is not the only one who got one everyone got cards everyone got them but in but the audience knows Cam doesn't know that Joel got one too yes because earlier on there's this kind of throwaway moment where Zach's like oh i love the printed invitations in the white envelopes very classy or whatever it is he says and Joel just responds what <laughs> like, that's the only response we get. And then, like you say, we saw that Joel got one himself. 
There's another movie that does the same thing where everybody gets like little cards and they all assume it's somebody. Yeah. And the, the person's like, I didn't do it. I don't it. know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I can't remember what that was. It's a movie we watched on here, I'm sure. Yes. Uh, but yeah, so that's what Joel says to Cam. I didn't fucking do it. I got one too or whatever. And then Cam lays out all the ones they know about on a bed and sees all the different comments. And they, they find get. Zach. Yeah, and that's when they find Zach in the closet dead. And so they start freaking out about that. Logan shows up and is like, what the fuck? Yeah, so that's the weird thing. So I don't remember what happens to Joel, but Cam goes outside and runs into Logan. Logan's like, oh, my God, I know about the such and fucking such and such. And then goes back inside despite Cam's protestations, right? So Logan's not dead. Went for a walk, didn't die. Was just out of the picture for a while. Which tells you automatically. Which tells that he's you something. Shows up conveniently, already knowing that there's a killer on the loose and that people have died, despite the fact that we did not see Logan find any of this out. Then Logan will insist on going back out back inside and separating himself from Cameron, despite Cameron's protestations, like I said earlier, and then will disappear for much of the conflict after this too it is very obvious that logan is the killer like painfully obvious that logan is the killer yeah things kind of go a little bit crazy i all i have written down is logan wait i'm so sorry guys he's dead are you okay what the fuck and then ah the killer's back with a gun Yes. So I think things are going a little haywire. Yes. So what's going to happen here, uh, amongst other things, all the rest of the conflict is going to happen in this house. Cam and Joel are separated. Cam and Hannah meet up together. And then Cam says, I'm going to go get the gun because Joel's dad has a gun in a desk drawer and Cam found it earlier. It's like, I'm going to go get the gun. And there's a really... I fucking loved this moment. Hannah says, what if you don't come back? And Cam's response is, then I love you. I know exactly where it is. It'll take me two minutes, five tops. But what if you don't come back? And then I love you. It's really fucking sweet. There's no clever quip. It's just, I love you. And if I'm going to my death right now, the one thing that needs to be said is that I love you. Like, it's the sweetest fucking thing. You do really like Cam. Yeah, Cam's great. (laughs) Um, Except for that he doesn't, he's not very empathetic towards Hannah. Yes, I think he learns to be. He loves Hannah. But yes, anyway, he goes to get the gun only to find that the killer's duffel bag is there and and that the killer comes in. He has to hide under the desk. The killer grabs some things uh, and then leaves. And then Cam is searching through. Well, Cam is searching through the bag looking for stuff. uh, Ends up finding the fireworks go off outside. Ends up finding Joel tied to a reclining chair with a firework in his mouth. And then 
grabs the fire, the lit firework out of his mouth and throws it outside before it goes Which off. Which we both were like, he could have easily gotten that out of his mouth. Right, yeah. Uh-huh. And then the killer shows up out of nowhere and shoots Cam, like Kelsey said. Uh, Cam gets shot in the shoulder and is like on the floor bleeding out and calls the killer a coward, show your face, you know, that whole thing. This is when it's revealed that under the mask, it is Logan. Logan tells a story, which we talked about briefly before, which is that in the first year that they played the game, Cam was upset about the existence of the game because he was in a relationship with Joel and Joel came up with the game. So he's like, fuck you. I'm just going to go make out with a stranger. And that stranger was a young, not out of the closet, Logan, who's wearing a mask as a result. And then Logan kind of fell for Cam and would show up at every one of their events, trying to insinuate himself in, but never being able to be successful. So instead of going through Cam, goes through Joel and starts a relationship with Joel, even though he fucking hates Joel. He just wanted to be seen, right? That was his big thing. I just wanted to be seen. And Cam's like, I see you, Logan, I see you. And Joel says, I see a fucking psychopath bottom who doesn't know what the hell he wants. I do see you. I do. seven fucking years to become interesting. Well, I, I love Logan's response of, we've all gone a little crazy tonight, haven't we, Joel? Because, because we, as we know, the killer was watching the bed yeah, when like, Joel comes out like and strangles Dante. asshole, like, yep. you killed somebody too! Now, Logan will never get out explicitly what Joel did, but he will hint at it. And later on, Cam's going to ask Joel about this. I don't know why Joel doesn't just say he must have saw me kiss you at the club. Because the comments he's saying is about how Joel can hurt people. Like, you could easily write that. Like, Joel could get out of this Scott fucking free, but isn't smart enough to do that. No. <laughs> but anyway, Hannah comes out from the bathroom. Well, before before Hannah can come out. I do love, after his great line of, it's not my fault, it took you seven years to become interesting. <laughs> after that, I love I love that Logan is just like, Cam, why? Yeah, why do you like this guy? That guy is an asshole. <laughs> Listen to him. Like, everything that comes out of his mouth is something an asshole would say. Why do you like him? <laughs> Now, what are you going to do next, Logan? Find some other group of friends to destroy. Can you shut the fuck up? I fucking hate you. What did you see in him? He didn't treat you right. He didn't fucking care about you. He's an asshole. He's a fucking asshole. Even I can see that. It's such a good point. Why are you obsessed with this guy? The interpersonal drama is where this movie succeeds. It, it, It does that so well. It almost doesn't need murder to be a good movie. 
<laughs> but yes, so he's about to kill Cam. He's hurting Cam. And out comes Hannah. And she's like, it has to be consensual, asshole. Yeah. And kills him. Which is at least a nice good callback to that, that really heavy-handed moment about consent earlier. I wrote down here they really should have revealed the killer earlier. I knew why the killer was angry, what their motivation was from the first montage, and it seemed lame. Making it Logan ups the stakes, but then that took too long, and it's too obviously Logan. He's the odd one out. He's engaged to the man, pining for the man he hates. He asks questions about the incestuous relationships. He disappears, reappears, conveniently knowing that there's a killer, but we never saw him find out that there was a killer. Then he goes back inside, never to be seen or referenced again until the reveal. During all this conflict where everyone's yelling and everything, you're probably asking, where the fuck is Logan? And a competent movie would show us Logan doing something, getting hurt, hiding something to set up for he's going to come out and save them or he's already dead or something like that. So the absence of those moments is very telling. It tells us that they're not showing him for a reason because they are showing him. He's just in the gimp mask. So... It's just too obvious, unfortunately. Cam and Joel get into a confrontation about what the fuck was Logan talking about. Cam comes to the realization that Joel did, in fact, kill Dante and is disgusted by him and leaves uh, and goes outside to the front of the property with Hannah while they wait for the cops, leaving Joel to sulk alone Giving the director inside. a shot that he really, really wanted. Uh, yeah, I mean, they do some really cool shots ab above the pool. Yeah, it's it's Cam and Joel standing next to the pool. And the shot comes from across the other end of the pool. And then Cam walks away and Joel is left standing there alone. Yeah, it is very evocative. Mm -hmm. And that's really where the movie ends. Well, no. We get um, one last little thing. Yeah, Cam tells Hannah, when we get back, we're going to party and I'm not going to bail on you. Which I love that that is the heartwarming ending of the yeah. film. Yeah, the heartwarming ending is that Cam reprioritizes where he's going to put his effort and he reprioritizes it towards Hannah, who is a better friend. And then Hannah gets the support and recognition that she's been longing for in this group. Uh, but it's just the two of them now. They're the only two that are left. And then we get a montage over the credits of all the photos from all the New Year's past where you can see originally with the dude in the mask and then Logan appears in the background smiling at them while they take their photos throughout all the subsequent years. And they're very obviously taken in like some hotel room or something like that. They're all really tight and the backgrounds are dark and like you know they're not actually at a party to take these. But yes, yeah, that's how the movie ends. Brian Tallarico of RogerEbert.com, who gave it two stars, called it sort of like a gay big chill being invaded by a gayer I know what you did last summer. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. And I think that's fine. I did notice that there were a lot of like user comments that were like on one or another side. There were there were gay people reviewing the movie saying it was too gay. I didn't need all that gay stuff. They're really rubbing it in your face. And other people who are like, nah, I don't know. It seems like you're a little touchy about this whole gay thing. And that's kind of where I land, I think, on this. 
I wrote down, if they were straight, people would call this movie a psychosexual thriller. All the asses that we see in this movie would have been lady asses. And no one would have batted an eye. And no one would have batted an eye. People would have had intense, passionate sex scenes or made out at clubs and nobody would have batted an eye. But because they're all dudes, somehow it's being rubbed in our face. So that is to say, if you think it's too gay, you probably just mean it's too sexual. And I can understand that. If you're just not into that, that's a fine critique. I'd probably even agree to an extent, uh, not a big enough extent to where I really care. But the alternative is that you're a bigot and you really do mean it's too gay. Uh, Because it's not. There's nothing in particular about this that's like any more sexual but gay than any other psychosexual thriller you might see. Yeah. If this were a straight movie, I would just be like, yep, another another naked chick, another yep. naked chick, you know, like, do I think it's necessary? No, but that's just part, unfortunately. So, yeah, that's my point. Like, I think if you say it's too gay, you're either a bigot or you mean it's too sexual. Yeah. It's, it has nothing to do with it being gay. Mm-hmm. Unless, like I say, you're a bigot. <laughs> yeah. So what do you think the movie has on Rotten Tomatoes, keeping in mind that this is an episode of a Hulu series. There are no official reviews. There are no expert reviews. It is just audience score. Well, from what I saw, people didn't like it online. So I'm going to guess that it didn't do all that well. I'm going to say a 66. It has a 70. Okay. For over 500 user reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. No Metacritic, obviously no cinema score since it wasn't in theaters. Do you think that that is overrated or underrated? Let's say underrated. I thought this movie was pretty funny. Yeah. I was thoroughly engaged and entertained throughout. Yeah, and you really like Cameron, so like you're interested in Uh the story. The biggest downside is, like we said earlier, everything that makes it a horror movie, Hmm. which is ironic. You know, the motivations of the killer, the predictability of who the killer was. The deaths weren't all that great. I mean, really, three people died. (laughs) There were three deaths. There was Ryan in the very beginning. There was Zach. And there was Dante. And that's it. Oh, no. I guess the killer dies. Yes. Right? But, you know, it's a group of seven people. And there are three people that are alive at the end. Right? There was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah. And if the killer Dante. doesn't even kill one of those people. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I think there are ways that this movie could have been stronger as a horror movie. But as an engaging drama, comedy, I was really keyed into that. I well, really Well, again, I it. think it's hilarious that this killer who has a very specific person he wants to kill in mind goes after people that had nothing to yes. do with anything. This is what I'm saying. The ways that this is a horror movie is is its biggest problem. Mm-hmm. So what would you give it? I'm going to give it a 77. Sure. I thought it was really funny when I was engaged, but it has a lot of problems. I'd probably give it a 74, maybe. Okay. Mid-70s, I think, is good. Yeah, it's uh, it was a quality piece of filmmaking and kind of brought me back in a, in a number of different ways to people that I've known in my life. 
I think its biggest flaw is how simple it is. Sure. I, I wonder how this would have been if it was an actual theatrical released film. Probably the same. <laughs> All right. That is Midnight Kiss from Into the Dark on Hulu. Thus wrapping up our very sexy New Year's episode. Our next two episodes, like I said before, are going to be wrap-ups of the prior year and everything that we watched, the best and the worst and all of that. So keep an eye out for that uh, in the next two weeks. Uh, Happy New Year to everyone. I hope you had an all right year that you got through. Uh, And if it wasn't all right, hey, you got through it. (laughs) Uh, And that regardless of how your 2021 was, that your 2022 is even better. Until we come back, you can find us on our website, podcemetery.com, and on Twitter, at podcemetery, where we'll be posting a lot of uh, extra stuff for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe and rate in your podcatcher of choice. A five-star written review is the biggest help you can give us there. Even bigger than that is sharing us with your friends. And even bigger than that is listening in the GD first place. Until next time, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? How terrible is wisdom when it brings no profit to the wise? Today is a day that is filled with surprises. Nobody knows what's gonna happen. Why, you might find yourself on an elephant on the moon. Or riding in an auto underneath the blue lagoon. Yes, we mouseketeers think we're gonna have some thrills. And you know it's true that a laugh can cure your ills. And so with your pleasure bent, we are glad to present the Mouseketeers Anything Can Happen Day. I think I'll share what my original story was so you guys can all steal this in high school. And I thought it was a cool, edgy concept that I could come up with. The idea was very, very similar before I had ever seen this. And so this sort of like shattered that dream and probably might be the reason why I liked it so much. It's very similar to where a man shows up at a detective's office asking the detective to solve the murder of his sister, say. And then throughout the process, you know, we get all of our normal detective mystery stuff. He discovers that he is, in fact, the one who killed his client's sister. He just doesn't remember it. And he doesn't know why. And come to find out, the client is Satan. Like, you could see how this is that storyline. How upset I was that I didn't come up with it first. The detective who killed the woman is actually imbued with, like, the spirit of vengeance of God. And so when somebody offends God so that they deserve being smited, smote, smote, he is basically an archangel for the Lord. But most of the time he doesn't know that. And so anytime he takes on that aspect of an archangel, he doesn't remember any of that stuff. And so this is Satan fucking with God through his archangel. You're saying that Supernatural stole from you too? Is that does that happen in Supernatural? Remember with all of like you're supposed to be God's vessel. Oh yeah. Well, nah, I, vaguely. Um but he actually is. He's he's trying to get Satan is trying to get God's tool to turn on him. To be offended by the fact that he makes him kill. Uh and then 
very leave God. Very supernatural. Yeah. Except this was in high school. So this is the late 90s. Before Supernatural. I know. After Angel. Are you saying Supernatural stole from you too? Yes. They went into my brain and stole. This is why I totally believe parallel thinking, by the way, because I had not seen Angel Heart when I had come up with this idea. And Supernatural obviously didn't exist when they came up with an idea that's similar but in different ways from this. So, Well, my idea is like for a story, you don't have to include this, but I always thought was pretty much exactly like what American Gods was. So you're upset when you told me about American Gods. Yeah, totally. I had this idea of mythical creatures having a secret war over the world. Uh-huh. Very upset when I'm sure that's in other pieces of literature, too. And But yeah, I think it compels me to that material, I think. And so this is probably one of the reasons why I'm so attracted to this movie that I recognize is flawed. But I just like it. What were we just talking about? We were at your parents' house yesterday... For Christmas, and we were just talking about something that was like that. I said that about Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler. It's a. It was a movie that was absolutely fantastic, and I never want to see it again. I think my brother was saying that a lot of people feel that way about Requiem. Oh yeah, yeah, Requiem for but a Dream. We don't. Yeah. Me and my brother don't feel that way. Shake out the bums. <laughs> <laughs> I think Mickey Rourke I was about to call him Mickey Rooney <laughs> I know in hell and so they need to find their way into the group elsewise elsewise? yes and somebody's clapping bamboo together or something <laughs> <laughs>